Welcome to this episode of Terry Talks Fiction. Today is a bit special. I have a special guest uh, on the podcast here, the fabulous Jennifer Chen, who wrote the book Super, which was reviewed by on the podcast and on the website uh, a few weeks ago. Jennifer, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me, Terry. I'm glad to be here. So uh, it's it's nice to actually uh, get to sit down and have a chat with you. Uh, we've been for the audience. We've been uh, interacting on Twitter for a, a little while now, so it's a bit different actually uh, hearing each other's voice and uh, having a a bit more of a live conversation than we often get when you're working in t- across two different time zones on a on a text uh, service. <laughs> Absolutely, it's it's much nicer to be able to say more than just a couple of words each time. I think that's definitely the boon of having something live. That but is that that is good for a uh, for a pair of writers, actually, isn't it? Being able to get more uh, more words down. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Wonderful. Well, Jennifer, would you like to um, just maybe give a quick uh, give us a quick introduction to uh, who you are, how you, how you've come to writing, and maybe introduce us a little bit to Super the the book. Sure, of course. Well. As you said, my name is Jennifer Chen. I am a Toronto-based writer. Super is my first novel. It's a a young adult novel. I came about writing it actually for my master's thesis when I was doing a master's of fine art uh, at the University of British Columbia. So really, I was forced to write the book to be able to pass and not waste a whole bunch of money. But hang on a second. I've actually got the book right here. Oh, no. Where was I going with this? (laughs) Already, <laughs> I had something in mind and then was distracted, uh, as I usually am, um, by picking up something and I lost my train of thought. Uh, but yes, so I do have a Master's of Fine Arts uh, in Creative Writing from the University of British Columbia, which I did, I believe, in 2015. I did that. Um, and then Super was published in 2018. Super is... A novel about superheroes that's not really about superheroes. It's a little bit convoluted when I describe it that way. Um, What I really wanted to write, actually, was a coming-of-age story and then uh, just jazzed it up by throwing a bunch of superpowered children into it. And that's basically how it came about. The idea was a little bit two-tiered. So the idea for Super, I acquired when I was way back in high school. And it was just an off-comment that one of my science teachers said. We were in class. And she was basically complaining about her teenagers uh, acting as though they could do whatever they wanted with no consequence. And a little part of me went, yeah, but like, what if that was actually real? Like, what if they could, could do whatever they want? Whatever they no want. Yes, literally. <laughs> well, like, what sort of world would that be? Um, and so I've been hanging on to that, that idea for, for a few years without really fleshing it out until I hit my coursework, until I had to write my thesis and decided that I had to pull a novel out of nowhere in the span of about a year. And so the pressure came on, and my brain just jumped back to that, that initial sentence that she had said just sort of offhand in class, that like, what if like, teenagers acted? Uh, like, why, why do they act like this? Why do they feel like they can basically do whatever they want with no consequence? Like, don't they realize that there are? And that's basically how the story came to be. So I, when I say a superhero story without being really about superheroes is because the idea itself, I believe, is, is not like purely a superhero-based idea. I think there was a little bit of a, a crossing between um, a coming of age and also a superhero genre in there. So that's how it came about. 
Oh, wonderful. I think when it also really comes uh, across in the writing, when you're reading through it, it really is the story of Beta coming to terms with herself and mm-hmm. and the, the realities of the world in which she lives. So I think that's, uh, it's interesting to know that that is what you were intending to cross. And like, it's not to say that the rest is just set dressing um, because you mm-hmm. really get into some very interesting themes with the superhero slant that you're taking on it all. But it's interesting to know that the, the core of the of the novel was in, in the core of this superhero novel is uh, you know is the characters divorced perhaps from uh, from those superheroic elements. Sometimes you get an entire story out of just a line or two. I think that's the part that that surprised me the most is that I got a novel out of something that someone said years ago. Just <laughs> so, have you have you sent a copy to that old uh, to that old teacher of yours and said look look what you've done? Yes, actually, I did contact them um, and sent them a couple of copies for their school library. Oh, and the particular teacher ha- uh, retired basically the year that I graduated from high school. And so I, I couldn't quite track them down anymore. But the school library does have that. And hopefully they've learned somehow through the grapevine that, that this is what happened. <laughs> Clearly, once you left there, uh, once I've been there to make that comment to you their duty had been done so they could just right there it goes right (laughs) with the mfa i'm really interested in you say you know obviously it grew out of this one uh single idea and then when you came to write the novel for the mfa wove it into this much bigger story how much of the story as it was for your mfa was the same for when you published the book uh, years later, did you take what you had for the MFA and, and really and expand it out any, or is it essentially mm-hmm. the same uh, in, in both? Mm-hmm. Well, the goal of the MFA uh, was to try to produce a work that would be almost immediately publishable. So in the, the course of the thesis, the thesis itself was a part of a much bigger and longer project. Um, when I say I wrote the book for my final year, my final thesis, um, I literally only wrote and edited the book in that year. The year before was when we started coming up with outlines for what we were supposed to do as a sort of prep. It was a really interesting process in that you wouldn't start writing straight away. You would take an idea, have your class workshop that idea, expand it into an outline, have the class workshop that outline, basically build from the bones up for the story rather than just go straight into it. And so when it came time to write the actual novel itself, I had a very clear idea of what all the story arcs, what all the plot points, where everything was going to go. That was all very clear because we had already essentially edited the idea of the story down to, down to basically a T, just like 20, 30 of us piling onto each other's stories just to try to figure out what worked, what didn't work, so that when the writing process came to be, um, it would be very smooth, very quick, and then we can get straight to editing the actual lines of it. Oh, wonderful. So I'm that, sure that, that wasn't was, a harrowing experience at all. Uh, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah. When they said your final thesis was to choose a genre, so we could do um, novel, screenplay, a poetry, I think there were a couple more than that as well, of a certain length. They said, uh, write a novel, 50,000 words or more, uh, make it publishable within a year. Uh, or eight months, as it was, a two, mo- uh, two terms. Yeah, I didn't have a heart attack at all when they said that. 
because before I took the course, I had never written an, an entire novel in its entirety. So I'm thinking, oh man, everyone else is going into it. Some already having published in the past, some already having kind of fully fleshed ideas. And I've got this one line from high school that a teacher has said to me, and I have to make it publishable within eight months. <laughs> um, but because of the process, because of the way they, they made us go through just developing the story before actually writing it, not much of it has actually changed, I think. Uh, all the ideas, all the characters, all the arcs were, were all in place. And when it came to publish, uh, just very small things changed. A, a couple of rearrangements, uh, some paragraphs got shifted back and forth. Most of it was line edits and just consistency things. Um, I had a couple of dates that didn't match up, things like that. Um, it was very technical when it came to actually publishing, but the content itself stayed much the same as it did. You um, yourself published this, yeah? Did you go through an editing service or...? Oh, I, I did. I'm actually with a small prep here in Canada. Um, I wouldn't consider it, it self-published. <laughs> yeah. So they did provide me with uh, editing, cover work, and, and publicity as oh, well. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I, some, I, I missed that somewhere in the, um, in the uh, uh, first few pages of the book where <laughs> such things are listed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they have their little logo just sort of very small in, in the back of the book. It'll say Insomniac Press. And it has like a little sun <laughs> and that's it. Wonderful. Oh, that's good. With the way that you were developing it from, you know, obviously again, uh, developing it through that year and, and rewriting it and really getting <laughs> deep, uh, deep into it. Uh, what, uh, I guess what prompted some of those decisions that, uh, that you were having to make, like what superpowers you were going to <laughs> your characters or uh, yeah, exactly how the organization of, um, uh, of the the Super League was going to to work sort of was that was that all stuff that was you know sort of workshopped uh, over and over again sort of refined through that process or did you get a bit of a, a pretty clear idea where you wanted those things to sit uh, mm-hmm. and develop it from there? I think in terms of the organization um, with the league, a part of that came from the fact that everybody with superpowers in this world were children. And that when you hit adulthood, you, you would no longer have those powers. It's just a temporary thing. And then dipping into the real world, I, I figure anything to do with children is always highly organized or at least trying to be highly organized. So you've got sports leagues, you have things like, um, like Boy Scouts, the Girl Guides, that, that sort of thing. Just to basically teach them the ways of the world and to get some skills in there and, and to keep, keep them basically distracted. And so I think the idea of the league didn't so much arise as separate from the story. I think just dipping back into my own childhood, I was part of so many just built-in clubs and organizations of, of society that I couldn't imagine. To keep, uh, keep all you uh, rebelsome youths off the streets. Yes, exactly, yeah. So we'd stay yeah. off the streets and be good and not do drugs and that sort of thing. So I couldn't imagine a story with children featuring children as main characters, not having a form of organization in there. Um, and so I think the idea of the league arose from, from a mixture of just sort of those like childhood little leagues, but blown up to a point where, where it's massive. It's, it's on like a, at least a national scale, sort of like the school board or, or going a little bit further, 
sort of like Hollywood. <laughs> well, I was I was very curious um, about that. Um, you say like the school yeah. board and, and national thing. It um, it must have been oh, obviously at some point you made the choice to make this like the like a, a little league sport kind of um, mm-hmm. rather than just having it as part of the say the school system. Was that just a, a point of differentiation from some of the other? superheroes children stories that are out there like the sort of the super school academy style thing of harry potter for superheroes something you want to <laughs> different or uh, just you had you felt there was a more of a more a more flavor perhaps in having it as this marketable entity mm-hmm. i think um that part of it came from the the history that i gave uh supers because when supers first arose, there wouldn't have been anything set in place for them. And it was also during a time of sort of desperate need uh, for the world. It was on, on the cusp of uh, just between World War I and II, I believe I said kind of the, the supers had appeared. And so uh, I think the, the immediate and almost reasonable um, uh, course of action at that point of time, if someone had appeared with suddenly the ability to uh, move tanks or shoot lasers, that sort of thing, uh, would be to try to militarize it. And so the idea that school is something that you do in times of peace, but when things get desperate and you have children that have powers like that, other organizations are going to try to step in and and take a little bit of control, I think, as well. So a, a pure school system, to me, is something that may have happened perhaps uh, a little bit later on, like if powers had arose maybe in, in a little time of stability, uh, in the 60s, um, when things were nice and everyone was prospering, then, then yes, perhaps we'd have something like uh, the Charles Xavier School for gifted teenagers. Um, but when the need arises in times of, of a little desperation, I think the, uh, you know what, I'm honestly surprised that Charles Xavier, like the mutants, are not just constantly militarized. <laughs> uh, it's probably hard when your house keeps exploding every, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I can't imagine any any government around the world not trying to at least wrest some of that power like into their own hands. Just so much leverage on an international stage. Um, and so, like the decision to not make it a school and make it something like like a combination that I think just came from the idea that there would be many people of power, perhaps not with the best intentions, trying to get their hands on these children. And it just morphed into something like a hybrid system, almost. Yeah, I mean, and obviously it is uh, the way you've set it up is very interconnected with you know, things like schools that coming and doing all the school testing and that that we see in the mm-hmm. early chapters of the book. So, yeah, that actually with the school testing, I got that idea from oh, I forget what they're called, recruiters, uh, the ones that go into yeah, like like the sports system. Um, they'll go into high schools, colleges, and, and pick out kind of the stars. In that area, that, that I think was the idea for uh, the agents. They, they come in and try to find talent um, and just whisk them away. Yeah, that's, that's where that came from. I know that, that specifically came to me one day. The rest of it is a mess. So. <laughs> that's very interesting because uh, here in Australia, we have um, some very different approaches, I guess, to all, like you'll get recruiters and things like that, people, talent scouts turning up at different things, but our school sports competitions aren't nearly as uh, more competitive mm. as they seem to be uh, yeah. over on the on your continent. 
Uh, I think for for sure down in America, that is a big, big deal um, when recruiters come to your school. In Canada also, yes, you, you hear stories about people making it big because someone picked them out in high school, um, but it's a little bit more rare, I think. Um, I think in the same way, even um, people that recruit for, uh, like, like the modeling agencies, I've heard like a, a couple of people in high school, I remember, were just approached by agents from modeling agencies, um, just oh, off-road wow. or in malls trying to sign them for, for contracts or certain agencies. So that struck me as a little bit strange, but also like very, very, uh, I guess, distinct. Like it's, it's such an experience. Yeah. There'd be nothing strange about that as a parent, will they? Just... <laughs> yeah. When they, when they basically just knock on your door, like, Hey, do you want to be a model? <laughs> or, hey, do you want to work for my organization? You're like, who are you? It uh, sounds like the start to a uh, very different genre of story. Yes. <laughs> Perhaps something a little bit not so young at all. <laughs> well, did, did you find that was a, uh, a challenge too when you were writing this? Um, I think in in the review uh, published to the site and in in the last podcast, uh, mm-hmm. I did mention uh, you know, there was a few areas where the temptation would have been there to go a bit darker with uh, some of mm-hmm. the themes. Did you find it was a challenge to navigate that line or you were pretty... Mm-hmm pretty set with uh, which side of just how far you wanted to go uh, with things such as the uh, the counter league and so just some of the realities of yeah. people like Gwen living the life that the, that the superheroes have to live. Right. Um, the idea of how, how dark we can get, I think a part of it had to be tempered because of the main character um, because she is 12. And there's certain things that when you're 12, you don't quite notice yet, I think, about the world. So in workshops and also in, in my own mind, the world, of course, is, is a little bit perhaps more ominous than, than she thinks in many aspects. But she's seeing it from the eyes of somebody who is in middle school. And everything in middle school is still relatively cheerful, I think, for most, most kids. It's when you get to high school where you get the, the uh, angst. We did have a debate on, on how much I should reveal of the world, I think, in, in class. And the general consensus was to keep it restricted to what the main character would know and feel and suspect because of the, the close first-person voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I, I went with. Um, of course, reading it as an adult, lots and lots of uh, dark opportunities do arise. Um, the fact that simply that the powers go away when they're adults. I'm sure there are many people that are trying to make them not go away as adults, um, that sort of thing. Um, but that's not the type of a thought process, and it wouldn't be the type of, I think, suspicion that someone who is 12 may have on, on a constant basis. Uh, they're not quite as jaded as we are, I think. <laughs> um, so, so, yes, there, there is some, I guess, darker elements that I did leave on the wayside. Uh, especially with regards to sort of the, the, the uh, I guess, the, the underbelly of the league and how, how far down, like the, or how far up the, the corruption goes, whether it's contained with the league or whether there's other people in society that, of, of course, to us, we would know would be helping them. Um, cover up certain things, but because I'm, she is I'm not well, sure how far into a spoiler territory if, uh, you want mm-hmm. to go in the end in the podcast here. There's obviously there's uh, there's a few twists and turns through the course of the novel that um that do really straddle i guess that line between um how far is 
is too far. And mm-hmm. it, 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 may, it makes an interesting theme reading through, certainly, as you say, with adult eyes, just imagining what those other conditions must be like in the unseen areas uh, of, of the mm-hmm. world. And I think for what it's worth, um, the way you write it does very much suggest that those areas are there, um, but we're not seeing them because, again, <laughs> of the eyes that we're looking at the story through. Right. right. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I think part of the worry about me going into it is, does it seem too unrealistic? And I think I sort of, I sort of got that handled because of the voice, I think, that there's a certain sort of suspended disbelief that you can buy because she is 12. Yeah. But that was one of my biggest worries going in is like, does it make sense? Is it too convenient? Like that sort of thing. (laughs) I particularly loved actually uh, with one of the minor twists when, um, when uh, Beta is having a a more one-on-one personal conversation with one of her teachers. I thought that Mm -hmm. was just, it was delicious just how, childlike her approach to that entire uh, conversation was. I thought that was, uh, <laughs> that was delightful, actually. I remember having uh, such uh, conversations, I guess, when I was 12, thinking I knew absolutely everything about the world. Right. And that, those little windows that you get into, or maybe the world is a slightly bigger place than, uh, than I thought it was, uh, mm-hmm. thought came across very well in those conversations. Okay, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> that that was what I was going for. That that she thinks she has it handled, but but really she's still twelve. <laughs> yeah. On on, on that too, to mm-hmm. just pivot us around a, a little bit back towards the um yeah. the the superpowers uh, and yeah. that I'm really curious in as to what made you decide on the or what, the the particular blend of powers that are showcased. Uh, in the book, um, one of the main ones you have, uh, particularly metal manipulation, it's not an yes. incredibly common uh, power, uh, certainly not uh, historically, where we've, we've right. got the old favourites of, you know, flight and super strength and laser beams uh, and, and all that. And it was interesting to see something that's just that little bit of a deviance from the norm with mm-hmm. such a place in the spotlight. Would you like to talk a little bit about making that decision? And, and Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, a part of it was to try to not do the typical powers. Um, we, we have so many superheroes that can fly or uh, super strong or very smart. Um, a part of the reason I chose metal manipulation was because it seemed like a very modern sort of superpower that yes, if this was a couple hundred years ago, metal manipulation would still be relatively powerful, but in something like a big metropolitan, like big city, uh, there is so much potential with metal manipulation, not simply to start ripping out metal beams, uh, lifting metal cars, things like that, um, but even very small things. Wires are made of metal. Uh, certain surgical implants are made of metal. Uh, tools, hardware, that sort of thing. I think what I really wanted for at least the big showcase was to try to find a power that was incredibly diverse, but also very flashy. So that's sort of where, where that came from. Um, and because it, because of how diverse it is, I could get away with her doing a lot with them. <laughs> I think that's part of it. There's only so much you can do throwing fireballs. Um, there's only so much you can do flying, which I, I think maybe I was a little bit hard on all the kids that could fly in that book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
because like like what are you going to do fly me to death uh yeah but yes I, I think i just i just wanted the diversity of of something that was as modern i think as and useful as uh metal mm. and that's where that came from Oh, very cool. It was interesting to, too to see some of those other diverse powers in the mm. background of the novel, like with the references to uh, some of the emotional power sets, um, uh, Beta's dad having the ability to sort of commune with technology was, a, was an interesting mm. one too. Uh, as you say, it's sort of uh, something that might not have been incredibly useful sort of 300 years mm. ago in uh, <laughs> trying to, uh, right. to do something around, you know, uh, old London or something like that. Um, so it's interesting to see that development of, of powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think I really wanted the powers to, to reflect uh, the times as, yeah. as well. So I, I just have to say how much I particularly loved the um, uh, Beta's friend having the Invisible Boy's power from Mystery Men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <it was> absolutely <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> You know, pa- passive powers are something that I actually, I think, sort of played a lot with in my mind. Yeah. It was something that's maybe particularly not noticeable uh, versus the ones that really are noticeable. Um, and because they're not noticeable, it's like a little bit not of a nod to the quieter people out there that, yes, you can also have superpowers and not be on TV <laughs> <laughs> and not be flashy. Well, I thought that. I thought that too was a particularly inspired and very good way of, of approaching control as well. Mm-hmm. Having it, that celebrity aspect to things, and, you know, the, the, ha- the superhero handles basically being their publicity agents. Uh, yes. It's a very interesting uh, um, tack to take because as you say, um, it, it, it's like as a sort of a quasi military structure, uh, mm-hmm. just the, that blend with the, the Hollywood focus I thought gave a very unique um, perspective on how you would as an unpowered adult control these mm-hmm. incredibly powerful uh, teenagers yeah yeah and, and that's the challenge in that world I think is what happens if you happen to let these teenagers loose I don't think anyone would like the result if just teenagers could do whatever they wanted but they could also just destroy things <laughs> on whim. I think that that would be a terrible dystopian world to live in. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think the fight there would, um, you can't take them on physically for sure. So it's, it's all about the control, like the mental control. Just like any other parental figure for a teenager. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> to, uh, to control them. Perfect. Approaching it in that way does different, help differentiate it from things like S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Justice League uh, and, and all that. Did you find that that was something you were particularly cognizant of going into the writing of it? Just like you said, we've seen so many superheroes now. We've seen so many superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of that does that play at the back of your mind when you're sitting down and saying, right, I'm going to create a, um, a whole new hero world? Oh, oh, no, no pressure on creating the hero world when Marvel and DC have basically done everything. Um, <laughs> um, the basically, oh man, like the shadow of Marvel and DC, especially in recent years, that I think going into the genre is, is always, always on somebody's mind. Um, whenever you touch anything about superheroes, you know the audience is immediately going to think of those blockbusters, especially the recent ones, and there, there have been so many of them. Luckily, though, I think 
because they are movies, because they are blockbusters, there's a certain type of story and a certain type of organization, a certain type of uh, character that they, they, they like to put on the big screen. Um, and so it also offers itself a lot of uh, deconstruction, as well, almost invites deconstruction. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that happening in, in the more um, recent movies that's, that's come out. They've been trying to maybe mix genres a little bit more just to keep it fresh. So yeah, just the, the idea that you might write something and then have someone go, oh, but Marvel did this already. Oh, that's, that's a terrible thing. I like wake up at night sweating about that. How familiar have you been with the superhero genre in the lead up to writing this book? Is, it, <laughs> is that one of the genres that you really enjoy reading and, and um, watching and consuming uh, as well? And uh, strangely enough, when I was young, I didn't touch superheroes at all. I think where my love of superheroes came from was actually from very old like mythology. Like modern superhero uh, stories are basically just mythology retold, but with sort of like updated characters and updated settings. So I actually didn't get into superhero stuff until basically, I think, maybe about a decade ago or so when, when the first big movie started coming out. And I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is neat. Maybe I'll go back and I'll reread and I'll get into kind of like that sort of stuff. So for the past five years or so, I've just been watching like kids' cartoons, like the Justice League, and it's been great. Um, <laughs> and I feel, like I, yeah, like I feel like, oh, it's for research. That's what it is now. It's for it's, research. I'm binging I, eight I hours. Didn't just, I didn't waste six hours of what should have been <laughs> writing time. No, research. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think um, the situation growing up for me, at least in Toronto, was that it wasn't really cool to like superhero things when you were young. And so like you have to have, I think, a very resilient type of personality to uh, go out and get comic books and read them in class. And I guess bear sort of the scorn of, of people that look down upon that. Um, and so a part of that uh, was why I didn't quite get into comics until I think Marvel made it kind of mainstream. Or uh, Marvel and DC, supposedly, made it, made it mainstream. So, yeah, a little bit of backwards work for me there. But I did read a lot of uh, mythology. The heroes from that time, I think, translate very well to modern heroes. Yeah. Well, there's some uh, aspects of it, I guess, which are universal, uh, especially when you're focusing on character and coming-of-age uh, stories, mm-hmm. um, like, like you say. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. And the, the hero's journey is something that we still see constantly in... Uh, in writing, especially in something like fantasy and sci-fi for uh, young adults. Yeah. So that, that has persisted across uh, just generations. Same, same type of story, but with updated characters and updated setting. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, again, without wanting to spoil too much, because we do want people to go out and, uh, and, and get super and read the book. <laughs> with the hero's journey in this particular one, uh, and yeah trying to show, I guess, emotional and narrative growth of uh, the main character. How, how did you approach that without, again, without trying to spoil too much, I'll say without falling into the obvious way of doing so? How, mm-hmm. how, how do you think you sort of felt about um, weaving those character elements together to sort of mm-hmm. to get what you were trying to say as the theme of the book? Yeah, I think for for Bea's character, her growth in character arc, I wanted to be quiet, not such a big bombastic uh, like journey, because 
like, like we said, over the ages, that has been done so, so many times. And it, it does promote a certain type of, I, I think, our de- ideal personality and behavior type that maybe doesn't include a good portion of, of people as well. Heroes, of course, everyone thinks they think of the, uh, like the Superman and the, uh, you know, the, the Iron Man, people that are very like, like outgoing, very, uh, I, I don't want to say extravagant, but quite extravagant at times. <laughs> Um, very kind of you like can, in. I think you can I, accuse a man who uh, dresses up in blue and red tights as being extravagant. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, his fashion choices are uh, questionable at best. <laughs> but, but yes, yes, I think a lot of superhero um, stories tend to lose a little bit of uh, focus on perhaps the other end as well. People that are that are quiet and maybe meek and perhaps are heroes of a different type, not quite the stereotypical hero. So I went into it knowing that I didn't want the, like the Boy Scout type of hero um, who does things because it's justice and for the good of things. I wanted their, their growth and change to be on an inner level, not so much on an outer level. So I think her character arc is very inwards driven rather than outwards driven. She is, yes, she is solving some pretty uh, social and, physical issues as well. She's tackling quite a big, uh, big problem. But I think her personal growth is something that is quiet and peaceful, rather than bombastic and violent, which is how most superheroes seem to solve things, just, just punch it really hard. <laughs> which honestly contrasts nicely with, uh, with Gwen's character arc through the novel as well as uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> not again, not being spoiled, but as, as some of those elements get a bit deconstructed with uh, yeah. the way her narrative progresses. Yeah, and, and she is definitely. I went into it writing her as the uh, the the traditional sort of in your face type of hero that solves things through just sheer muscle. Yeah, and that's. I definitely want to contrast between the two of them. Not not that either of them are more or less heroic, just heroic in different ways. I think. And it was nice to see a, an everyday sort of heroism in this, you know, in this world where the superheroics have sort of rendered that obsolete uh, as well. Mm-hmm. I think that was nice. It was a good. That, that you can still mix. be a hero and still be a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> or a writer. Or a writer. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for the, uh, for the chat uh, today, Jen. Is there anything um, that we didn't bring up that you'd like to talk about, uh, about, about the book? I think we've covered a pretty wide basis today. <laughs> we went through a bunch of different stuff, technical stuff, book stuff, decision stuff. I am pretty satisfied, I think, actually. I mean, in terms of a, a personal question, I, I was wondering, for you personally at least, why did you pick up the book? Like, what, what made you pick up the book? What drew you to it? Quite honestly, actually, it was interacting with you on Twitter and basically just crossing the, the virtual desk um, ah. in that way. Uh, at some point I navigated, I just, I was there on your homepage and I saw the, um, you know, the, the picture for super and I, I should pick mm-hmm. that up at some point. And, and, and then the, I had a free moment one day and, and thought, Oh, I've, I've been meaning to get around to, uh, to Jen's book. So I'll throw it up <laughs> and, uh, and check it out. Oh, well, well, I'm glad, I'm glad that helped out. <laughs> when, when my publisher was first like, Oh, maybe you should start a social media account. I was like, Oh no. Oh no, like it's starting. Well, I'm going to dive into the Twitter and the Facebook and you'll never see me again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I 
And like, I'm glad I thought that I did it. I had such doubts going into social media um, because of all those, those stories that you hear out there of just people getting lost in it and, and uh, possibly also some other aspects as well. Um, but I'm glad, I'm glad that I have a platform to be able to reach out to an audience that, that I clearly would not be able to without it. Um, yeah. And I'm glad that, that I reached you actually. So, yeah, well, I'm certainly glad too. It was a, it was a great, yeah. uh, it was a great discovery. Your book, I was, <laughs> I was very, uh, very entertained by it and um, <laughs> eagerly awaiting a super, the sequel. That's for sure. Oh yes. Yes. The sequel. Oh, yeah, that's, that's in the works. <laughs> now there's expectations to meet going into the oh, sequel, trying to, trying to make it as fresh as the, the first one. But yeah, I, I'm actually having a lot of fun delving into maybe a little bit more depth of the, the super world. I think, I think a part of me really wants to get into the, the more adult aspects of it, but I still have to temper it back into sort of like the uh, make it genre appropriate and audience appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but the the sequel is a good opportunity because they are a little bit older Wonderful. to sort of start suspecting certain things as well. So hopefully that will be an interesting ride. Uh, it sounds like it will be. How did you go with, uh, obviously the first novel grew out of such a, a definitive idea and such a, like a, an impactful uh, statement. Was there a, a moment when you, as you were writing the book that you sort of, realize to yourself oh this this is what i want to focus on for for the next book this element of what i'm writing here mm, oh what a good element there is i think because there was such a big change at the end of the book um not simply for all of the characters but for uh the implications of of a wider sort of societal change mm-hmm. i think that that bounced off a whole bunch of ideas in, in my head, like what would happen afterwards because of what happened in any, it's, it's really hard not to say things that spoil everything. Yes, true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because of what happened, I feel like a lot more can happen is basically as vague as I can make it. Um, but and if yeah, you want and to know I, what that means, people, go and read the book. Yeah, <laughs> just, just, just plug, plug the book. You'll figure it out. Yep. Yeah, but because I did leave a lot on the table as I was going through it, um, I think a part of me feels like I, I need to wiggle out those, those little tiny, maybe slightly more like adult details of society. And I, I think going into sequels and having them age and maybe come into certain types of realizations is, is a good opportunity of fleshing out the world a little bit more than uh, what I had done in, in the first book. Um, I think that was the main thing. I just want to do more world building, but I had to limit myself to a 12-year-old's mindset. <laughs> I think that was at least just a little bit frustrating on my end, although uh, although it worked out great for the um, the main character, the voice of the book, I think. Uh, but for me, as as a as an author who is uh, who knows what's going on behind the scenes, that part is like I want that to get out there. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's part of it. Well, speaking as one of your readers, at least, I'm, I'm literally salivating to uh, to find out more about uh, this world you've created. So mm-hmm. very much looking forward to the sequel now. Awesome. Well, with that, I think we might say thank you again, Jen, and everybody. Um, I'll link the Amazon listing to Super, the novel, uh, in the show notes of the podcast. So everyone, please click on that. Go and check it out. It is a great read. And let Jen... Uh, sell it to you one last time. Next, next time on reading about superhero stories that are not quite about superhero stories.
you know, Jennifer Chen, author from Toronto, writing stuff, signing out, I suppose, plugging my book one last time. It's a, you know, I have a very common name, so please, super, the novel by Jennifer Chen, that will get you some results. <laughs> Perfect. I was I, I pleasantly that. surprised how easy it was to find on Amazon too, actually. So. Oh, good, good. There were a couple of very nervous weeks early on where I couldn't find my own book on Amazon without typing in the ISBN. Oh, really? um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, because like you type in Jennifer Chen and, and just like hundreds of hits come out yeah. um, and you type in super and thousands of hits come out, but you type in like super Jennifer Chen and like 12 pop out. Perfect. <laughs> so it's, it's not the most intuitive. At that point, I was like, I should have used a pen name that was a little bit more interesting than my actual name. That, that would have been very super heroic, actually, to have a secret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my, my photo on the back could just have me wearing a mask. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> <laughs> just to play into it. Oh, all these ideas. Why didn't I think of these like two years ago? <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what sequels are for. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much again, Jen. I'll, uh, we'll let you go here and um, we'll see the rest of you guys on the next episode of Terry Talks Fiction. Mm-hmm. And thank you.